0: So good to worship with everybody this morning and, uh, and just to be here together. So good to be here together. Hey, right now the ushers are going to receive the offering, which is a continued part of our worship together. Uh, I always say, um, God doesn't want my money, but he does want my heart. And sometimes uh, my, my, my money kind of reflects where my heart is. And so that's why we continue. Thanks, Jamie. We continue uh, with worship in that way. Um, but as the ushers are coming to receive the offering, uh, I just have one quick announcement before I dive into the message today. Um, this Tuesday night, we have, a, we have a men's event, Men for the City. It's gonna be here. Uh, Uh, The speaker's kind of mediocre. I heard the guy's okay, Uh, but it's me this week. I'm speaking this time for our men's event, so that's where the joke comes from. And then Casey Parnell's gonna be here. Thanks, Kevin, for laughing. I I need some good laughs. It's like a laugh track. It can just be you guys. Um, Casey Parnell's gonna be leading us in worship. Larry White's gonna be also doing some stuff. It's gonna be a great time together just to talk about what it looks like to be men that are for our city. So seven o'clock this Tuesday. So if you're not doing something, guys, or if you are doing something, cancel it, because this is gonna be better than whatever it is. So show up here, and we're gonna have a good time together. Um, today we're going to start a new series, and, and we're studying a book that's really unusual, and this is going to be an unusual series. And towards that end, I just want to share kind of an illustration to get us ready for where we're going to go today. Um, how many of you have ever lost your keys before? Okay, good number of you. How many of you, your keys went missing, you know it wasn't your fault? Okay. Right? There's two kinds of people in the world, right? There's those that confess and admit, I lost my keys. Then there's those others that insist that someone mysteriously snuck into the house and moved the keys and put them someplace you can't find them. Those are the two different groups of people in the world. Regardless of which of those you are, this illustration applies. Uh, one of the things I hate about losing my keys is you never realize you've lost them until the moment that you need them. So there's always this frantic nature to finding your keys. It's never like middle of the night. You're like, I wonder where my keys are. No, it's when you're headed out the door, right? And so there's this frantic thing. And if you've ever lived around other people and you've lost your keys and they're there, people want to help you with this. This is always hilarious to me. There's one question people always ask and it makes zero sense to me at all. Where was the last place you had them? Why do we do that? So you play along with them. You're like, well, I had a Monday, you know, and you start going through the whole thing. If you knew where you had them last, you'd have your keys, you wouldn't be looking for them. But we play along. And then there's this whole search that goes on. We look all over the place. And then there's this funny thing that happens. When we finally find them, we say, I never would have expected to find them. Like that was the last place I looked. (laughs) Yeah, because you don't keep looking once you find them. That's like, I always heard people over the years say, you always get hurt on that last run of the day, skiing. That's because you got hurt. That's why it was the last run of the day, right? And you find your keys in the last place you look because you don't keep looking. If you do keep looking, we need to have a conversation around your mental health. That's not something normal people do, right? But you do, you find your keys. And oftentimes when that happens to you, I never thought I'd find them. They're like, they're unexpected. They're in this place you didn't expect them. Let me just, let me translate this to where we're going today. Um, At some point in our life, we experience genuine joy. There, there, are, there are points in our life where we encounter uh, real peacefulness. We have a genuine sense of peacefulness around our lives. We feel it in our hearts. There are times in our life when we have a deep sense of purpose or meaning, like we are living in a direction. We're moving a direction in our lives and it's intentional and we know where we're going and we know what we're doing. There are times when you and I experience joy and peace and purpose and we just, everything seems to be running really well. And then life happens. And the joy that was so prevalent or the peace that we knew or the purpose that we had begins to leak away. It begins to slip away. And the response of human beings when we lack joy, lack peace, or lack purpose is to go searching for them like we search for our car keys, And one of the first things we do is where we we look for where we had it last. Where was the last time that I had joy? When was the last time that I had peace? When was the last time that I had purpose? And so we, we look at the components of whatever we analyze and think caused us to have that in those moments, and we try to piece the puzzle back together, and we go looking in the last place we had it. We search. We struggle. We try to find it. We try to put the equation together and reassemble life in some way that maybe if I do all all these things I can feel that again maybe I can feel that joy maybe maybe that peace will return maybe maybe I'll have that deep sense of purpose about my life but as we struggle through that there's the question that often arises and that's will I ever experience that again you may be even asking that about life right now life in general we kind of look at the past and we look at the present and we look towards the future and we think what's our future going to be like will I ever experience the joy or the peace or the purpose that I used to And that's where this series and this book that we're about to study really comes in and intersects with our lives in a very powerful way. Today, we're beginning a series looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, but what we're really doing is understanding more about joy and peace and purpose and where we actually find those things. And I believe that when we're done, and I'm not just saying when we're done with the series, but when we're done with this sermon today, when we're done looking at what we're looking at today, it's going to be like finding your keys in an unexpected place. You're going to see some things. You're going, to, you're going to understand some things. If you've lost joy, if you've lost peace, if you're lacking a sense of meaning, then this book is for you. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open up. Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. It's uh, like halfway through the Old Testament. It goes Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. Um, If you want to use the Bible in the pew in front of you, you can do that. If not, the words are on the screen. Because it's unusual, I'm going to just start very differently. I'm going to read a bunch of it, and then we're going to unpack this together. So uh, prepare yourself, buckle up, because this is not exactly the feel-good movie of the year that we're about to dive into. All right. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says this. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already a long time ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Chapter 1. Chapter 2 doesn't get much better, but we'll go ahead and read it. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female servants and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delight of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and all ma- also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and a great mis- and, and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too, by the way, is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Now I know what you're thinking. First of all, what kind of book is this and why is it in the Bible, right? But then secondly, why in the world would I choose in the fall of all times to study something this depressing, right? I know that's what you're thinking because that's what I think when I read this, right? So what is going on here? Somewhere in the middle of all of this melancholy, there is a different kind of wisdom that the teacher is giving us. And this different kind of wisdom actually leads us to the things and to the place that most of us are looking for. It's what we're longing for. But it's also a bit disorienting as we get there. For example, um, did you notice that there was one word that was repeated more than any other word in that? Anyone notice that? What was it? Meaningless, right? meaningless. Whenever the teacher takes a breath, it's like he just throws out and says, well, this too is meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless over and over again. Well, I want to correct something for you in our own thinking and our own understanding. Um, I I think the English translators of the Bible, when they translated from the Hebrew into English, they did us a horrible disservice when they translated this particular word. The Hebrew word that's being translated meaningless is the word Havel. Say Havel with me. Havel. You kind of got to spit on your mask with that when you do it. Havel. Be glad you're wearing a mask and that your neighbor is when you do it too, right? So Havel. Havel means vapor vapor or mist, or breath. So Havel is this. So he's not saying meaningless. He's saying this, this. Everything is this. When we hear meaningless, we ascribe a value to it. We say, well, that's not valuable. He's not ascribing value. He's just simply saying, it's not something that you can grab. It's not something that you can hold on to. It's not something that lasts. That's what he's saying. Vapor, vapor, everything is vapor. So the land that you acquire is Havel. The houses, Havel. The wealth, Havel. Your retirement, Havel. <laughs> Your car, Havel, right? Wisdom, understanding, knowledge. That grade you got last week. Havel, right? Havel. Getting all the answers right. Havel. Having your closets perfectly organized. Havel. Your body. Havel. Right? Everything is Havel. What's interesting is the more you see this, the more you understand what he's saying, that the vapor is what he's describing. All of it's just vapor, vapor. Everything's vapor. The more you lean into that understanding, the more this book comes to life. The more you begin to realize what he's really trying to show us. So so after that phrase, vapor, or meaningless, that's repeated over and over again, Havel, there's another phrase that you'll also notice he uses again and again through both of those chapters. He keeps talking about things happening under the sun or under the heavens, um, this is a phrase that when the writer uses it, he's using it to describe the totality of life from the moment you are born until the moment that you die. He's talking about everything that we do. He's talking about everything that we gather. He's talking everything that we apply ourselves to. He's talking about everything that we possess. All of this stuff that we engage with from the moment that we're born until the moment we die is what he calls under the heavens or under the sun. It is the realm of the created. I want you to hold on to that idea. He's describing the realm of the created. So if there is a realm of the created, that also means that there is a realm of the uncreated, and I'll get to that in just a few minutes. So this teacher, he's talking about everything that you and I do in the realm of the created, and the realm of the created looks like this. It's vapor everything we do, all of it is under this one category. Now, why is that important? For many people, when we dive into a book like Ecclesiastes, we try to acknowledge what it is. People refer to Ecclesiastes as part of the wisdom literature of the Bible. And generally speaking, Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. It kind of follows some similar patterns, but it's also very different. It's very distinct, and I want to explain something. Wisdom teaching, traditionally, not just in the Bible, but in all cultures, it offers you two paths, right? That's the way wisdom works. Um, Usually it's contrasting two different ideas or two different ways to live, Sort of like polar opposites. So, like in the book of Proverbs, you have the wise and the foolish, and the wise man does the wise thing, and the wise thing gets the wise results, and the foolish man does the foolish thing, and the foolish thing gets the foolish results. That's the way that wisdom literature works. That's the traditional view of it. With me so far? Okay, four or five of you. That's good. I'll take that. So so most of us, we understand wisdom as being this. Wisdom means you choose the right thing, you get the right result. Choose the wrong thing, you get the wrong result. If you get the wrong result, it's probably because you chose the wrong thing. If you got the good result, because you chose the good thing, right? That's the way wisdom works. works. It's this dualistic sort of world. But that's not what's happening in the book of Ecclesiastes. The writer does not give us two paths and say, choose path A and you'll get result A or choose path B and you'll get result B. Like, you play by the rules and you get a predictable outcome. The book of Ecclesiastes is not wisdom literature as we typically see it. And so by giving us one category of life, Ecclesiastes is for everyone who did the right thing. Everyone who played by the rules. Everyone who stayed within the lines, everyone who was moral, everyone who gave it their best shot, everyone who gave it 100% effort, and things still didn't work out. Ecclesiastes is for when you did A and you got B. That's what the writer is talking about. Everything under the sun, he's challenging this notion that everything could be boiled into these two simple categories. Which is so encouraging because how many of you, you did the right thing and got the wrong result at some point in your life? So this teacher, he's taking us to brand new territory in our thinking. Just be wise, people say. Well, the writer says, wise and foolish, you both end up in the same place. The same fate overtakes them both. You may make all the right moves. You can go all in the right direction. You can be morally superior. You can be intellectually brighter. And there's some knucklehead down the street that just luck just seems to hit him every time he does something, right? Or there's that person. They're like, you know, they smoke like 10 packs a day. They never work out. And somehow they outlive the person by 10 years that worked out every single day and were vegan. And you scratch your head and go, how does that happen? Right? Somewhere in the middle of all of this life, somewhere in the middle of all of these equations that we look at, there is this realization that we come to at some point. If we are honest intellectually, we will come to a place of saying the world is not as black and white as A equals A and B equals B. It is not as dualistic as we think it is. Which means we also have to acknowledge that we live in a mysterious place. And the results in life can sometimes be unpredictable. And then what? And then what? That's what the writer is inter- introducing us to. This is the wisdom beyond wisdom. Yeah, there's sort of like 101 wisdom. That's Proverbs. But Ecclesiastes is the wisdom that's beyond wisdom. Wisdom when you're walking through the mysterious nature of the world. This is something else. That's why at the outset, we sort of need to retune our frequency in this. If you find yourself feeling a level of dissonance as we read this, as you hear about this, if it's a bit difficult, that's okay, right? It's okay if you're reading and you hear this and you go, oh, I don't want to admit that this is true, but there's a, a lurking sense inside of you that says it actually is true. The teacher is trying to get us to see or to think differently. He's trying to show us there is something that you haven't figured out yet. And the best way to do that is to create a disruption. Vapor, vapor, everything is vapor. He's showing us something new. And this something new has to do with something that we rarely want to talk about. That this place we live in is mysterious. It's unpredictable. So what do we do now? What's the answer? Well, you'll notice that there's another phrase in the text that he uses again over and over, or or, at one particular point. He uses these other ones over and over, and then he gets to to verse 11 of chapter 2, and he says, there's kind of a break in the rhythm, and he says something really interesting. He says, yet when I surveyed, Yet when I surveyed, he says, so I studied and I built and I had this and I had that and I did this and I did this. But when I surveyed all that I had done, when I looked at everything, what this teacher is doing in this moment is facing brutally and honestly everything that he's done with his life. This is ruthless self-examination. He's taking a step back and he's looking all of his life and he's saying, what is my life all about? What's the what's the what's the meaning of it? And in chapter two, what we have him describing is something that that I'll refer to as an existential hangover. It's the morning after. It's the day after. It's, it's after the big event, it's after the, the big payout, it's after the wedding ceremony, it's after you signed the documents, it's after uh, you moved into the house, it's after you bought the car, it's after you won the game, it's after you got the award, it's after you got into that school, whatever it is. The teacher is saying, I'm here to tell you, I did it. I bought it, I built it, I shaped it. And now I'm here to talk to you about the morning after you got everything you ever dreamed about. I'm here to talk to you about that feeling because how many of you ever got that thing you always wanted and then a day or two later you thought to yourself, is that it? I was a freshman in in college, I was a swimmer in college and I remember there was a particular day they were going to be posting the rankings for our conference in in our aquatic center and I remember going to practice a little early that day because I had an expectation of where my name would be on the list. And when I walked through the doors into the Aquatic Center, I walked walked to the list and I looked and there was my name at the top of the list for my event exactly where I expected and wanted it to be. And as a freshman in college, I thought, yes, I'm already there. I'm already at that point. Went into the locker room, got changed, and I dove into the pool and I started doing what swimmers do. Back and forth, staring at the bottom of a pool, And I just remember going back and forth that day and I thought, now in order for my name to stay at the top of the list, I just have to keep doing this more and more. I have to work harder and harder. I have to keep going back and forth. And then I started thinking also to myself, is this all there is? Is life just a series of rankings and you get yourself to the top and then the moments after you get there, you just wake up the next day and find another place to compete, find another category to try to achieve in? Is this all that there is? That's what the writer is talking about. Then what? Maybe you've had that feeling. Maybe it was an academic achievement. Maybe it was a relationship that you were longing for. Maybe it was that perfect job or that that one car, whatever it was. And now what? That's where we find the teacher I had it all. Everything you could possibly have in the realm of the created, I had it. Everything you could achieve between birth and death, I owned it. But then he tips his hat to where he's going. Verse 24 of chapter 2. He says, this too I see is from the hand of God. And when the teacher uses God, he's describing that which is uncreated. So under the heavens is that which is created. But when he talks about God, he's talking about the uncreated. God is that which has no beginning. God is that which has no end. With God, there is no havel. In the realm of vapor, there's houses, vineyards, flocks, cars, money. That's that's the realm of the created. But then you find lingering on the edges of the writer's words, you hear this word God. God. And this very faint awareness is placed before us that there is a gift. There is that which is uncreated and the uncreated extends itself into the created. The uncreated enters into the vapor. So in the first few chapters, it sort of lingers on the edges. There's something else going on here. There's something else taking place. Vapor cannot be all that there is. There has to be something more. And here's what he's getting at. I'm gonna show you three pictures and I just want you to take a moment just to kind of look at them and capture the moment and then we'll talk about them just for a second. So here's the first one. Here's a second one. Here's a third one. You know what all of these people have in common? They're all real-life stories of people who were rescued. All of them have had their life flash before their eyes, and yet they made it. And these people, do you think they worried about certain things? Like, did somebody mow the lawn while I was out there? (laughs) Because I don't want to mow six inches of grass, right? I wonder how my 401k is doing. Mm-mm. I wonder if Netflix has a new series I can binge now that I've been rescued. Nope, right? They're overwhelmed with one simple thing that life is a gift from God to be appreciated and enjoyed. Life, breath, the moment that you find yourself in is a gift. They aren't trying to find meaning or worrying about the bills. They are there. In that moment, they are there. There is pure, unadulterated, unfiltered awareness that life is a gift from God that's to be appreciated and enjoyed. There isn't anything else. And when you have a moment like that, you now have a means through which or a means by which you can can understand the vapor in your life. It all gets put into perspective. Now, my experience is that most people spend most of their days in something I call vapor management. We're just shaping the vapor all the time, trying to get it in order. Most people spend most of their time worrying about the vapor. And most people come to religion Because they want someone somewhere or something somewhere with some sort of authority to rearrange or fix the vapor. I want a better job, better relationships, better car, better whatever it is, better place to live, whatever. Assuming that if you can just get the the vapor managed properly, proper vapor management will somehow magically lead to joy and to peace and to purpose. And it was never intended to do that. What what Jesus came to give you, what Jesus came to invite you into, to to show you, to make you aware of, is what you already have. And if you see what you already have, you won't waste your days looking for it in other places. If you get it backwards, it's a life of misery. It actually is pretty meaningless. My experience is you land there a couple of different ways. One is um, you crash uh, you nearly die, you, you you things don't work out, you lose things that are close to you, people that are close to you. Maybe you come close to losing your own life and, and it almost takes losing everything to make you realize what you actually have. That's one way people come to this. The second is that you get everything that you ever wanted. You win, you get the house, nail the interview, got the job, did the stuff, and, and then you realize this is it. Regardless of your path, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you. For a lot of people, they kind of hear that and they go, that means do, do, do. You gotta go do some stuff. You gotta, this seek first is about getting stuff done. But I would present to you that when Jesus says seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added, he was saying, set your heart towards this kind of understanding of the world that you live in. Set your heart in a place where you live with this kind of awareness about what matters and what doesn't, and you will be able to properly deal with the vapor. You'll become the kind of person who is deeply and intuitively aware that this thing called breath is a precious gift. You'll become that level of aware. You'll live life knowing that this life is a gift that you've already received instead of living trying to find something that you haven't. See, see, we're being invited into an understanding that this life, this breath is from the hand of God and you already have it. There is a kingdom that Jesus said is at hand. There's a kingdom that is all around you. There is a kingdom that is in you. And when that connects, when that clicks, then you tap into something, you tap in to the realm of the uncreated. And when you tap into the realm of the uncreated, when you connect with that which is uncreated, when you connect with God, that's when you'll experience joy and peace and purpose. Those are not found in the vapor, but they are found amidst the vapor Because the uncreated enters into the vapor. And somehow in the middle of all of this, we meet that which is uncreated. Which leads me to one final thought. I'll close with this. There's a saying. There's there's something you hear people say. Maybe you said it. If I could just, and then there's a blank, then I'd be blank, is a lie. It's a lie. That is the lie of the vapor If I just, if we just, if culturally we could, if, if then we would be, that whole concept is a lie. A couple of months ago, my youngest daughter, uh, my my youngest daughter bought my dad a, a book. It's the cover of the New York Times from every year of his birthday from the time he was born until, until this last year. And I was at his house and so I opened it up and I started just flipping through it from the very beginning, kind of looking. And my dad was in the room with me and I'm about halfway through it and I realized my dad's just kind of sitting across the room watching me, not weird at all. Um, But I'm I'm sitting there and and I'm flipping through it and I'm just scanning, looking. It was kind of entertaining. But then I got towards the end and I closed it up and I put it down and my dad just looked at me. He goes, what'd you think? And I said, we're fighting about the same things. We're talking about the same stuff. And he goes, exactly what I observed. Nothing has changed. If blank, I could blank is a lie. We build and achieve and we strive, not just out there, but, but, but even in our faith we do this. If I just could do this, then I'd be that. And all along, Jesus is saying, no, no, it's right here in front of you. There is no magic equation that you have to do. It's here that problem that you're facing, that money thing that's stressing you out, that that relationship thing that's just taxing you, the desire you have to get everything in order, Jesus says, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to chase the vapor. You can live in relationship with the uncreated, the God of the universe, the invitation that the teacher is pointing us to is to not chase the vapor and to live in that which is real. Amen? Would you stand with me? I want to offer this benediction to you this morning, so if you're willing, maybe hold out your hands. As I raise mine, I'm just going to offer this and pray this over you. But may you be men and women who discover the wisdom that is beyond wisdom. When A leads to B or B leads to A, will you lean in to that which is uncreated? And may you know the God who brings meaning and life and breath to every moment in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys are the best. We love you. Thanks for being here today. Please feel free to hang out and connect with some friends. See somebody, talk to somebody, belong to someone here. And we will see you guys next Sunday. See you later.